Amen. All right. How about we open our Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We, as Tom mentioned, we started a, a series last week, uh, really focusing on, on Jesus and uh, we are exhorted to do that in the scriptures. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And last week, Douglas kicked us off with a message really to help us understand who was Jesus. Was he just some legend, Robin Hood, King Arthur type guy? Uh, or was he just a guy that was just totally misleading people, lying to him, totally knew he was lying, just trying to start, start some kind of movement for his own glory? Or, or was the dude just delusional? I mean, he didn't know what, he was just crazy. He was just saying stuff, I'm the son of God. Or was he really who he said he was? We don't have too many choices. And I appreciate what, what Doug gave us last week. And if you were not here last week, nrcoc.com. And you can see it for yourself. Uh, you can click on recent sermons. And I think you'll be encouraged. So we're going to continue in that vein to fix our eyes on Jesus and uh, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a moment in Jesus' life when, quite honestly, all eyes were fixed on him in many ways. And it was an extremely tense moment in his earthly life. And through this interaction that we see in this intense moment in his life, Jesus actually offers up some titles for himself that he wants us, I believe, to know about him. He claims to be certain people, certain titles or names uh, that we need to pay attention to. So last week was legend, liar, lunatic, or Lord. But today we're going to look at some other titles of Jesus. And uh, let's go to God in prayer first. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. So grateful to sing the songs that we have sung this morning. They have really helped me, helped my heart. So grateful for uh, the communion message to be reminded of the power of the cross of Jesus. Such an incredible reality and truth. The way you decided to go about defeating the spiritual forces of evil through the cross, and through the resurrection. Incredible, Father, your plan for Jesus. And I pray this morning that we can understand more about who he was and not just pluck scriptures out of nowhere, but to see how they come together and make light of who you are, God, and who Jesus was and what you've been trying to do in this world. So God, help us to focus this morning and be humble to what your scriptures say. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are going to look at the beginning here 
in the Gospel of Mark. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And as I said, this is a moment in Jesus' ministry when, when all eyes were focused on him. This is towards the end of, the, of Mark's gospel. Already before this, Mark has really shown us how Jesus has gone about and, and really shown himself by miracles and by what he, what he was doing and teaching and preaching openly uh, that he truly was who he said he was. The problem is the religious leaders of the day uh, did not appreciate what Jesus was doing. And uh, it came to a head really in Mark chapter 14 where they took Jesus and they put him on trial because they, they had had enough. Th this man was, was teaching things, in their opinion, that were blasphemous and they should not be tolerated. And so they pulled kind of a, honestly a, a kangaroo court of sorts that was really illegal for them to do at this hour of the night uh, to pull their group together and tr to try Jesus. And so we'll look at this in, in Mark's gospel, Mark 14, in verse 53. We'll start there. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This was an intense moment. Courtroom moments are intense anyway. I have only been to one and it changed my life. And it was not a capital offense type situation. 
but it was intense. And when that judge looked at a guy that I considered a friend and told him, today I'm taking away some of your freedom. I mean, you, you could just feel, I mean, I, I got cold. It was like, oh, my goodness, that is intense. But when somebody's life is on the line, and then they have to testify themselves, they kinda, they're on the stand, you cannot get any more intense. And so I wanted to just look at the claims that really are being made here. You know, Caiaphas, the, the high priest, he, 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 was, he was a little upset. His, his courtroom proceedings weren't going as planned. And so he just basically said, I'm going to play my trump card right here. And in an uncharacteristic move to actually stand up, I mean, it, he was getting a little flustered himself. And he's like, I, I need to end this thing. Listen here. I know what's going to, I know what can bring this to a close. Let's just bring it out in the open. Do you claim to be the Christ? Is that who you say you are? And see, the thing with us is here we are in 2017. When we hear the word Christ, we just, we, we just don't, we don't get it like they got it in that moment. Okay, in that moment, the, the, the name, the, the title of Christ, Messiah, okay, in Hebrew, Christos in Greek, the anointed one. Okay, that, well, the, the, the Messiah, if you could just put yourself in the shoes of the Jews, they had been waiting. <laughs> Their hopes had been waiting for this anointed king, this anointed priest and prophet, kind of putting them all together. What was this Messiah going to do? This Messiah, it had the hopes of the Jews. This was the one that was going to reign. He was going to be in the line of David and be this great king to rule over all, to restore Israel to its proper glory, to, to really be the culmination in some respects of what God was trying to do through Israel. Finally, the Messiah was going to come and set things straight and get rid of these Romans. And get them out of our land that was promised to us. The, 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 the hopes that they had for the Messiah were huge. And you and I, it's so hard to tap into that sitting in our pews in 2017. But it, the, it, the, the Messiah was someone longed for, prayed for. People searching the scriptures to see the clues. When, when, when will he come? And so when the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ? And guess what? He did not believe Jesus was the Christ at all. He didn't have one ounce of, he didn't ask him that because he thought maybe you are. No. He had no, none, no belief that Jesus was that promised Messiah, that anointed king by God, anointed by God for a special purpose to help the Jews come to their full glory. But I think he was shocked when Jesus said, well, I am. I am the Christ. I am the fulfillment of those scriptures that you've been pouring over your whole life. They point to me. I am he. And, 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 and his answer is really packed with a lot of stuff, honestly. And so in order to kind of get the feel for it, we got to leave Mark for a second. And so we need to kind of take a jump. We're going to take a jump to a couple other passages. To, to help flesh out what Jesus said. Because in that, in that answer, he's actually saying a lot of stuff that you and I may not really pick up on. But that's why we come together these mornings and open up the scriptures. Amen? First place I want to go is Psalm 110. 
Because Jesus said that he was going to be sitting at the right hand of the mighty one. And so the right hand of the mighty one. And the psalm that we are about to read, Psalm 110, I'm not sure if some of you even know this, but this is the most quoted uh, psalm in the New Testament. You may not have known that. If it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, probably important. People probably felt like, wow, this is an important passage. You know, but at the moment Jesus said those words, I am, I am, yes, and then you will see the Son of Man sitting at the, the right hand of the Mighty One. Let's read the beginning of Psalm 110. It's a psalm written by who? David. Anything special about David? Hmm. If you're a Jew, you really care about David. Because God promised that it would be through David's lineage, through his descendants, that this Messiah would come. So, so the, the line of David was incredibly important to the Jews. So here's a psalm that David wrote. And we'll start, we'll focus in on the beginning here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. When Jesus said that, yes, you will see me sitting at the right hand. Many scholars believe this is what he is referring to. And David, David being the king, David being the promised one, he says that the Lord, right? Let's say Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord said to David's Lord. Wait a minute. Well, who is David's Lord? Isn't David the great king? Isn't he the, the main one we need to be focused on? Even David writes, the Lord, Jehovah, God, Yahweh, he said to, to, to David's Lord. Who is David's Lord? That's the Messiah. That's what, that's what the high priest totally would read that and go, that's who the Messiah is. That's, that's who the Messiah is. David's Lord. Whoever David's Lord is, that's the Messiah. Well, the Lord told David's Lord, sit at my right hand. And so Jesus is claiming you know Psalm 110, high priest? I'm David's Lord. That's who you're talking to right now. I am who David was referring to in one of the passages that you really think points to the Messiah. Another passage that we should look at is in Daniel. Let's turn with me. To, well, you don't have to turn because I think it's on the screen, but I like looking at the Bible myself. So. Daniel chapter 7. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 7, I didn't include this, but I easily could have. And it could have, it could have made sense even for many of us because there's another very popular messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. A very long one in Isaiah. And it talks about, as you make your way to Daniel, but it talks about a moment when the suffering servant would actually be led to his slaughter but would remain silent. And would not open his mouth. Which we read in Mark 14. That's what Jesus, that's what happened to him. They charging him and Mark said he didn't say a word. 
once again fulfilling another messianic prophecy. He's being led to his slaughter late at night illegally, but he doesn't even say a word. But they're so upset and mad, they're missing all these clues. The Messiah is right in front of you, and you can't see him. So here we are, Daniel. And sometimes when we read these scriptures, we don't get it. It's like, wow, this is, Mark is a gospel. The psalm is kind of like a song. And now we're going to Daniel, which is totally different, apocalyptic literature, visions, and things like that. But stay with me, amen, because you're smart people. But in Daniel chapter 7, this is one of my favorite chapters. But there, a vision is described, and I think you'll be able to pick up on some of the main themes and characters. Let's look here in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. And so this vision, you're, okay, you may not know. Well, I don't totally know what's going on, but you know what a throne is. Okay? What is a a throne? We're talking about somebody is in charge. A king, a throne, somebody running things. You know what that is. Ancient of days. Hmm. It's not your grandma. You know what I'm saying? Or your grandfather. Any, if the high priest Caiaphas were reading this passage of Daniel, I think we'd all agree he would think that that was whom we would consider, you know, God, Yahweh. Thousands upon thousands. Then the court. Wait a minute. What happens in a court? And then the books are open. I mean, this seems like a, something, something's happening here. We got a throne, something like judgment. Books are open, a courtroom setting. So while you may not understand every single concept, you, I think you get it, what this vision is kind of leaning toward. Look in verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Son of man. That's what Jesus said he he was. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He, he, the son of man, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples. Nations and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Too many of us read the Bible like it's just the scripture of the day. Too many of you approach the Bible like, what am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling sad. Let me find something to lift me up. Rejoice in the Lord always. And you know what? That's not all bad. But what I'm telling you is so many of you read the Bible like that for too long. 
It just becomes one scripture you just pull out of nowhere just to try to figure out your life for that day. And you don't put all the puzzle pieces together. Jesus lived at a, at a moment in time when he was standing in front of, of that high priest. His life was on the line. That happened in real time. And when he said, when he, are you the Christ? He said, yes, I am the Christ. Not only am I the Christ, not only do I fulfill what you think all the hopes and dreams of Israel are wrapped up in, I am that anointed one. Not, but, but let's not stop there. Open up your Bible, high priest. Do you remember Daniel's vision? The son of man, that's me. I'm the one that's coming in the clouds of heaven. I'm in the presence of the Ancient of Days, who you and I both know is God. And what happens to that person, that son of man? What does he receive from God? He receives power, glory, dominion. All peoples will worship him. That's who Jesus referred to himself. He's connecting the pieces of scripture all together, but bringing them back into him. And that's to me what makes the Bible exciting. It's not the verse of the day. Try to find the big picture. Challenge yourself to understand who Jesus said he was. What a crazy claim. Coming on the clouds of heaven. And some people, oh, I thought that was the second coming. Read again. This isn't really talking about the second coming. This is more coming into the presence of God. But what is the high priest seeing in that moment? <laughs> He's seeing a ragged, beat up, half beat up. He hadn't fully been totally beaten up, but he's hurting. Guy who's a carpenter, been preaching out there, wasn't schooled in any other schools like the high priest was. That's what the high priest is looking at. And you, oh, so you're the Christ. You're, you're the one. Give me a break. Bro. Oh, oh, and, and then he says, I'm not just him. The Messiah is not just a guy that comes, uh, you know, born of people coming from the line of David. You actually didn't have it all right. The Messiah is actually divine. He's actually divine. And that's me. So, high priest, guess what? You're on trial. Not me. You're the one on trial. I don't think the high priest really liked to hear that. Because <laughs> what did he do? He tore, I mean, he tore his clothes. Again, you've never done that. Like, probably in that context. You've probably never been so upset with a person that you decided just to rip your clothes. So once again, we read something and we just kind of, but, but you can't imagine the, how offended the high priest was in that moment. He was, that was an act of, uh, I am so, I mean, it was, ripped his clothes. Utter disgust that Jesus would make such a claim as to be the fulfillment in, in ways of Daniel chapter 7. The son of man. And when you think of the son of man, it is a cool concept as well. Because the son of man, why even say the son of man? It's, it's a cool thing that Jesus always seems to paradoxically combine things that don't seem like they can even be combined in one person. It's like he does, Jesus did come from mankind. He, he, he was incarnate. He came from a woman. And so in some respects, yes, he, he was a son of humanity and even lowered himself as he lived, put himself kind of under humanity as a servant. Like, wow, how did he do that? But at the same time, he was over man, if you know what I'm saying. So, yes, he was a son of David from his descendant, his human 
line, but he was also David's Lord at the same time in the same person. Unbelievable how Jesus was able to put all of these in one person, one person. But what does this matter? Who cares about all this stuff? I don't know. It does matter. Because this comes up again in in other places. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Some of you are familiar with Acts chapter 2. You say, well, okay. So Jesus is, okay, he's not a legend. I've been here two weeks now, okay. Two weeks in a row. I learned he's not a legend, so... No, he, there's, there's plenty of material in this world that attests to Jesus really existing, being a real person, not just from biblical sources, but from all kind of secular sources. Nope, Jesus, real person. Okay, cool. So either he was crazy and what he was talking about, he knew he, knew he was, he, or he knew he was lying. No, I, I think he didn't seem like he was unstable. He seemed like a pretty intense, solid guy. Okay, I don't think he was a lunatic. I think he was probably telling the truth. Man, so, wow, okay. So now what else do we find out? That he wasn't a just historical figure. He, had imp- he was important, <laughs> very important to the crux of all Israel, all of what God was trying to do to show God, was trying to show himself to the world, who he really was. Jesus was the fullest expression of who God was. And we see in Acts chapter 2 that we've got these poor, this poor fisherman, this guy Peter, he had a, he had a wife, he was doing great. You know, he was living, he was at fishing business. Life was good. He runs into this guy, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Jesus calls him out of his life, what he was doing. Calls him to him. Jesus trains him for years. Peter has ups and downs, you know. Struggles to really be loyal to Jesus. Has a really bad moment where he just totally pretends. I don't even know who Jesus is when Jesus really needed him. Pretty sad. But he repented. Amen. He got uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, he's actually given the ability to to speak that many people will say was the first kind of Christian sermon, so to speak, in order to to start the church. But he preaches here in Acts chapter 2. Let's look in verse 29. See if some of these puzzle pieces start coming together for you from what we've been talking about this morning. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, And has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You heard that before, guys? Hmm. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, when they put all the pieces together, Psalm 110, David was great, but Jesus was greater than David. Wow. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because, see, the Christ was the perfect, right? He was the, the priest, the anointed priest. What does a priest do? The priest offers sacrifices for sins and helps bring people to God and God to people, a mediator between God and man. Jesus fulfilled that role. He was the perfect priest. So you get forgiveness of sins through, through Jesus. He is the Christ. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people responded to this message, which included the psalm that we read, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, proving who Jesus really was. He is the Son of Man. Yes, he was born as a human, but he was fully God and fully man. Yes, he comes from the line of David. Yes, he's the Christ, the Messiah. All of the Israel's hopes and dreams really should have been fulfilled. They should have seen that in Jesus. And these 3,000, they saw it. And you and I need to see it too. And you and I need to be more involved in understanding who Jesus is from Scripture and being able to express to people who he really is. He's not just a guy who's a great teacher who, like many other great teachers, all roads lead to the same place. They don't. They don't. All roads don't lead to the same place. Jesus fulfilled a very specific role, and God has been trying to show you through Jesus what he's been doing in this world. And we need to have a higher view of Jesus. I think if we had this view of Jesus, if you could wake up and think, wow, wow, Jesus was given all power and dominion. All nations, all nations, all peoples, all tongues will worship him. That's, that's what the plan is. And, and Jesus will be at the center of it all. Do you have that high view of Jesus or not? And some of us don't. I really believe we don't. You know, and I, and I think we, we forget who Jesus is. And even as we live our lives, sometimes we get so caught up. Don't get too caught up, right? Even today, some of us can get caught up. You know, 6 o'clock, you, you, you might lose your religion a few times. <laughs> it might happen, right? But just think about that concept. Like, I mean, some, hey, brother, I love you, man. You know, how you doing? You know, who you got? I got the patron. All right, man. All right. Wow, we can, and it's funny, but it's kind of true. Like, we can have a loyalty to our team so intense that we don't even want to hang around a fellow Christian. You know what I mean? Right? I mean, it can happen. I don't even want to be around you, man. I'll call you in three and a half hours. <laughs> Especially if we win, I'll definitely call you. <laughs> Speed dial, right? But that's a, that's a, a funnier thing, but I, I, I echo, I echo it. What Kendall is saying, I mean, we got to wake up and, and, and we, these, these truths about Jesus need to wake us up so that we have the correct perspective as we try to live our lives in the current state of our country. Okay? I had a brother text me. Dude didn't even remember at North River anymore. Goes to a sister church, right? Moved away, doing great at a, one of our sister churches in another state. He sent me a text the other day. He said, Jeff, I should read it, but I, don't, I didn't ask him permission. But he, uh, he said, Jeff, I'm praying for you, bro. He said, man, I've been on Facebook 
I'm seeing some of the stuff that people at North River are posting. And I'm praying for you, bro. It's, he said, it's crazy. And I, and I, and I, I like, I, I'm not on Facebook, man. I, I'm not good. If you sent me a message, my bad. I, I'm not even on it. I probably should just shut it down. But I do like seeing a picture every now and then. But I don't really know what's going on. But this, this brother took the time to text me. I'm, I'm praying for y'all over at North River because some of the stuff that's being gone back and forth between members of the church. And I think he used the word, I'm shocked that people that claim to be followers of Christ are, are exchanging these types of stuff, right? And so, so for me, like, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak personally, and I didn't take the time to go on there and, you know, you know look at everybody, but I, I don't, don't want to do that. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. But it, it, and I did pray, like, wow, this is not good. Look, wake up. Okay, wake up. Remember who Jesus is. It does not matter who is or is not in the White House. It doesn't overly matter for the rest of your life. Okay? Here's the deal. Legislation, it could happen that you like, some you don't like. And it can affect us. And it can hurt our feelings. And we can be sad. And that's okay. I get that. But at some point, before you press send or post or whatever you have to press, Think about what you're doing. Don't we live by a higher ethic that Jesus, Son of Man, gave us? I mean, don't we have something that talks about, hey, you know what? Let's not be a stumbling. Let's try not be a stumbling block. Let's consider others before ourselves. I mean, why is it that we can be so passionate about this stuff? That's what I keep coming back to. I don't care if I'm repeating myself. I know I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I still don't understand it. How some of y'all can be so passionate about these daggum political parties, but can't get two dudes to go out there and help with parking. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, at what point, at what point have you, do you, do you, you got to realize maybe you've just tipped over a little too far. Jesus is elevated above all political parties. And one day, it may be when we are still alive or we may be dead and gone. It may be hundreds of years from now. But he's going to set it straight. Guys, if we were Christians in the when the Romans were running things, when Nero was in charge, seriously? Do you know what our brothers and sisters had to endure under the Roman rule? They had to band together. We got to band together. I mean, I hope there's a Facebook post somewhere from our brothers and sisters in North River that say, man, I totally disagree with your policy, political stance, but man, I love you so much. I would love to see that. Or man, I don't think we agree on this, but... You know what? Jesus calls us to love each other and to show this world a, such a radical type of love that the whole world is shocked. Why just join the fray like everybody else and lose our distinctiveness? We follow the, the Son of Man. He's been in the presence of, of God, been given authority and power, and he's, he has been given all authority. And guess what? He's commissioned us to go and make disciples. 
of his, not of political agendas. Have you spent more time trying to convert someone to your political party than trying to help somebody become right with God? Is that a fair question or is it a, or not? And I think some of us have put so much passion into what's happening that we are no different and we've lost our saltiness to affect the earth in the name of Christ. Hey, hold to your political whatever, man. Do your thing. But remember, you're a Christian first. Please remember that when you're on Facebook. As your evangelist, guys, seriously, check yourself before you start saying stuff. And when in doubt, man, leave it out. That's my opinion. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's my, that's my take. And, my, and, and here's the deal. Somebody in this room is probably like, you're talking to me. You, you, somebody told you about me. <laughs> it happens all the time. You know what I mean? I don't know. I haven't seen any specific post by any. But you were looking at me when you said it. I don't know. Who's saying what? I just love all of you, and I don't want you squabbling over stuff that's not eternal. Get passionate about Jesus and his kingdom. And let's go and save the world for him. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm going to invite the singers up as I segue out of that moment. I'm assuming there's a song. Is there? All right, amen. Amen. Amen.